Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and inspires you. Before we get into that message, we want to remind you about just a couple of things. First off, if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here at the Cersei campus, text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information about what's going on here at our local campus, and you can give online there as well. You can also get connected to life groups and so much more just by texting Cersei to 88000. Now get your Bible apps ready and prepare to hear a great word today. As Kevin said, my name is Matt Mosler, and I'm your pastor at the Pine Bluff campus, and it is always a pleasure to get an opportunity to come to one of our other campuses and straighten them and get a chance to speak um, to, to, to what's going on around the state. And, and I, just, I, I just love your pastor. I'm just such a big fanboy of Kevin Atkinson, and, and I love the way he teaches, and I love the way he preaches. And he, I mean, not pretty, but he can preach, man. I mean, and so I just love what he's doing here in this great town. So let's give your pastor a big round of applause for everything he's doing here, and just so grateful and humbled to be here, but enough of that. Um, I'm also excited to get a chance to talk to you guys, because a few weeks back, I felt like God had laid something on my heart that is, that is just so relevant for the day and time in which we live. It's so important, I feel, for, for this moment in time. So if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to bring a little pine bluff to Cersei. Is that all right? I mean, I mean I'm going to be preaching today. I mean, I mean, I feel like I need a hanky. Uh, to start preaching. I feel like I need to crank the heat up in here so you can get one of them fans, you know, and we can go old school church. Are y'all ready to go old school church? Because this is a good word that I feel like God has given us, and so I'm hoping that you guys can lean into this. Um, So if you are ready, what I want you to do is open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to work our way through chapter 1. Uh, so if you got your Bible, and a real, I want your Bibles open. I want you actually, because I know some of you young people do it on your apps and your devices and all that other weird... I I like paper, man, because you can scribble all over paper. Can I get a witness out there? All right. So if you got them, if not, if you have to use your tablets, you can do that too, but it just works better on paper. So 1 Peter chapter 1, before we get there, let's pray. Father, we lift you up and we praise you today. We just want to dedicate this service to you. Father, I pray that you can calm our, our... our hearts and our spirits down right now. I pray that the walls can come down, that you can open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive this word that you would like us to hear this morning. Um, And Lord, I'm praying that you would help that seed that is sown into our hearts today grow and prosper and bear much fruit in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. All right. First Peter chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 15, and this is what it says. Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, stop what you're doing and look up here at me for just a moment, and, and, and I'm going to, don't tune me out, okay? Because I know some of you have already started to your eyes are rolling and they're glassing over because I just read that God is holy and he wants you to be holy. And so when I read that God wants you to be holy, all of a sudden, so many of you in this room started thinking of all of the things in your life that would disqualify you from even being near the word holy. Don't raise your hand, but you know who I'm talking to. So listen, I mean, you know the things that you've done. 
You know the things maybe that have been been done to you. You know the life that you have lived, the thoughts that you have thought, the mistakes that you have made. And, and, I mean, when you start thinking about being holy, I mean, Kevin Atkinson can be holy, but not me. Not somebody like me. Not with the life that I've lived. And, I mean, I'll try to be a good person, but somebody like me can never be holy. Am I right? Don't agree with me. You know, just keep it to yourself. Well, if that's what you're thinking, I want to really strongly encourage you guys to lean into this today uh, because um, I'm going to tell you something that may shock you. If you have accepted Jesus Christ into your hearts, if you have asked him to forgive you of your sins, invited him into your heart, and, 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 and made him your Lord and Savior, according to the Bible, you already are holy. Do you hear what I said? You already are holy. Now, but, and you are. You may not feel like it, but holy is not a feeling. Holy is not an activity. Holy is not a state of mind. Holy is not even a moly. Holy is a result, and it is a result not of what you have done or, or what you have not done, but holy is a result of what Jesus did. I mean, Hebrews 10.10 says this, For God's will, it was the will and the heart of God for us, all of us, to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all. So because Jesus died for our sins, we all have been made holy because of what he did on the cross. That's the truth. That's who we are, okay? That's, that, the problem is, that's just not who we've been led to believe we are. And because we don't believe, because we don't have it in our mindset that we can be holy, it has had devastating consequences, not just for us, but for our family, for our community, and for our culture. So, because so many of us believe that we are not holy, I, I think the problem in our culture is that so many of us believe that we're kind of like this car. Let me show you a picture of a car. Not that one, this one right there. So many of us look at ourselves like we are this car. I mean, we are, we're old and rusty and dusty. We're just taking up space in a garage. Our engine doesn't run anymore. Our tires are dry rotted and flat. Our battery's dead. We got no other purpose in our life but to be a home for rats and mice and birds. But let me tell you something about this car right here. This is an actual picture of a car that was found in a detached garage in Japan somewhere around 1980. But it's no ordinary car, all right? That car right there is actually a 1969 Ferrari 365 GTB Daytona. I have no idea what that is. But apparently car people do. Because car people saw this picture and this car was auctioned off in this condition, complete with all of its rust and dust and dirt and grime and bird's nest for more than $2 million. This car was far more valuable than it appeared 
And because of what Jesus did on the cross, so were you. You may not believe it yet, but you are. Despite what you have been led to believe by our culture, despite what you have heard other people say about you, despite the amount of dust and dirt and bird's nests that have accumulated in your soul over the years, here's the reality. Ephesians 2.5 says, you have been made alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, you have been made the righteousness of God. Romans 8.15 says, you have received the spirit of adoption. You have been adopted by God as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We can talk to Almighty God like he is Papa. Listen, folks, you are no longer a slave. You are a chosen and adopted child of the king. Don't let the enemy use the culture to mask the truth about you anymore. You're like a diamond in the middle of a rock pit. You're like a Stradivarius in a middle school band class. Right? You're like a thoroughbred at a pony ride. I mean, the enemy has so many of us convinced that we are only good for pony rides because that's what everybody else is doing, but he, he created us to run like the wind. We have allowed the culture... To make us squeak like a fiddle when we were created to make beautiful music together. I mean, we, we, we look at all the dull rocks around us and we picture ourselves like we're just like them, but God sees us as a precious multifaceted gem. Church, listen to me. If we hope to live the abundant life that God has created us to live and bring about revival in our families in our relationships, in our culture, listen, we have got to stop sinking to the level of the broken world around us. And, and as, Rome, as Paul says in Romans 12 too, we have got to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to change the way that we think. And if we can change the way we think and get a hold of the truths in this word, we may be able to prove what God's will for our life is. Who wants to know God's will for their life? You want to know God's will for your life? It says we can prove what it is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And listen to me. God's good and acceptable and perfect will for your life is to be holy because he is holy. There's like one person in here who's amen. I'm telling you, Pine Bluff would be on fire about now. So God wants you to be holy. So what does it mean to be holy? What exactly am I talking about? What, is, what does it mean to be holy? Well, the word holy means to be set apart. It means to be sanctified. It means to be free from any blemish, spot, or wrinkle in every area of our life, mind, body, spirit. Does that sound like you? Because it doesn't sound like me. In fact, it doesn't sound like anybody I have ever heard about except for Jesus. No one that I know of has ever walked on this planet in flesh and blood form uh, without any blemish, without any spots, without any wrinkles, although my wife is really close. Are you watching, honey? Are you, are you watching this? Can you, can you, yeah, that's right. I got you, baby. Listen, so if this is an impossible standard for you to be holy, for you to be set apart, it's a standard that only Jesus was able to meet. Then how on earth, Pastor, can you tell me that I am expected 
to be holy if nobody on the history of the planet has ever walked in flesh and blood form in perfect holiness? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Because I want to walk you through something that I think many of you are familiar with. I mean, you've heard all of this before. But I want to explain it again, and I want you to begin to really hear me and understand when I'm... I want you to understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. Because it bears repeating. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, this is very important to our spiritual lives. Understand this. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, We are a spirit who has a soul that lives in a body. Very important that we understand this. And when you were born, your spirit was born dead. Or at least it was born corrupted by sin and destined to be separated forever from God. Because the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that every one of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But it was never God's will that anybody he created should perish, even though Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death. So while we were sinners, God sent his only son, Romans 5.8 says, to die in our place, to pay the penalty for our sins. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, our debt has been paid, our sins have been forgiven, and our spirits were made alive together in Christ. You, you follow me? So our spirits, our essence, our being is holy. It's been made holy and perfect and blameless because it is the spirit of God that now dwells in our flesh and blood body. The problem is this holy and perfect and blameless spirit over here is walking around in these willful, sinful bodies of flesh with a soul caught somewhere in the middle trying to determine which side it wants to obey, the redeemed spirit of God or the sinful flesh of the world. And that's the war that is going on inside of you. Which side am I going to go? And Satan is using this conflict between our sinless spirit and our sinful flesh to confuse us into thinking that it's impossible for somebody like me to be holy because of some of the stupid things that my flesh has done. Like, because you smoked weed in high school, you think you can't be holy. Because you had an affair, you think you can't be holy. Because you cheated on your taxes, you think you can't be holy. Because you got pregnant before you got married, you think you can't be holy. Because you fill in the blank over here, you think you can't become holy like this person over here. So, because of all the stupid things I've done, if I can't be holy, then what's the point in trying? Well, here's the truth, y'all. And we got to get this into our soul. As believers... God is living within each and every one of us. Are you following me? And, and because God is living inside of us, if we've invited him in and he is holy, then you can be holy too, but maybe not all the time. But you can have your moments. Listen, when, when we read this Bible, we, we read all these stories about all these people in the Bible, and we, and, we, and we look at these biblical characters like they are, we call them saints, okay? They're perfect. And we, were, you know, we have little action figures of Samson and Moses and David and Abraham and Peter, 
But when you actually read this Bible and you read about these guys, you realize that all those guys that we call saints were a bunch of screw-ups. We would not allow most of those people inside the doors of our church today. But they were holy. How could that possibly be? Because they were holy, but not all the time. Not every minute of every day. They had their moments of sin, but they also had their moments of holiness. And this is what God is calling us to do. Because He is, look, He is fully aware that we're going to have our moments where we fall apart, where we sin, where we do stupid things. But He also knows we are capable of having moments of holiness as well. And in order to to have these moments of holiness... We need to begin to learn how to get our sinful flesh to submit to our sinless spirit. Now, this is, here's how you do this, by the way. Go back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and look at verse 3. The Bible says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the first step in getting your sinful flesh to submit to your sinless spirit is to be born again, okay? In, in, in other words, you need to acknowledge and rejoice in what Jesus did for you at the cross, and you need to accept and receive his grace and mercy. Have you? Have you invited Jesus into your heart? Have you confessed your sin before him and thanked him for paying the penalty of that sin and invited him into you? I don't mean, have you grown up in church? I don't mean if your grandmother made you memorize scripture. I don't mean if your grandfather was a pastor. I mean, have you ever individually invited Jesus in? We call ourselves a Christian nation. It doesn't matter what nation we're in. If we've never invited Jesus into our heart, we've not been born again. Are you born again? That's the first step. But number two, it's not just being born again. We also need to thank God for the trials in our life. And you'll see this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. He says, in this, you now greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. The purpose of the trials in our life is to help to get our flesh and our spirit in proper alignment. And here's why. Your spirit, again, it's the spirit of God, and it can only obey the will of God. Your spirit has no choice but to do what God is, but to do the will of God. Your flesh, on the other hand, can. Your your flesh wants to obey your will. Your flesh wants to please itself. And, And if you can humble and submit your flesh to the will of God, you know what happens? You open up a world of joy and peace and gentleness goodness and kindness and grace and mercy. In other words, holiness. You got to be born again. You got to thank God for these trials. But number three, you have to read and study your word. Look at verse 12. It says, it was revealed to them that the, okay, okay. In these things that we just talked about, you now greatly rejoice. They have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. What he's saying is the truth about Jesus was announced to those who have preached the gospel. The gospel was initially preached, and then it was written down in this book for us to study. So the more of the truth that we get in us, 
the more our bodies begin to line up with our spirits. We've got to be born again. We've got to thank God for our trials. We've got to read and study His Word. But then the, the, then the fourth step is we have to choose to follow Jesus. Because Jesus said in John 10, 27, that my sheep hear my voice. They're in my Word, and I know them, and they follow me. And the more we fill our hearts with God's Word, the more time we spend in relationship with Him, the more we surround ourselves with other sheep, you know what's going to happen? The clearer his voice is going to become. The clearer the voice of the shepherd will be. And then when we hear what the shepherd is asking us to do, we need to take that step and make a choice to get our bodies to follow what God is asking us to do. And let let me show you. I want you to look at verse 13 through 15 of 1 Peter 1. And And this is why I want you to have a paper Bible and a pen that has been hermetically sealed and wiped off and make sure it's free from any germs, but take that pen and go to that Bible, and I want you to circle these words for me, beginning in verse 13. You ready? Prepare your mind. Keep sober. Fix your hope. Do not be conformed to your former lusts. Be holy. You know what those words are, college people? Thank you, verbs. Action words, okay? What those, there's a lot of action required on your behalf as a believer to get your flesh to align with your spirit. There's a lot of discipline there. There's a lot of respect for the God who made you and loves you and died for you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. Your spirit is already there, but it is your choice to get your body to follow along. Are y'all with me? That's a pretty good roadmap for how to be holy. But here's a bigger question. Why? Why, why should I be holy? Why is God asking me to be cold? You know what God's asking me to do? He's asking me to swim against the culture. The entire culture is trying to please the flesh. God is asking me to make decisions that force me to go against the culture, to go against the tide, to swim upstream. Why is God asking me to do that? What is the purpose of holiness? Well, the first purpose of holiness is found in verses 22 through 25. It says this, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls, in other words, since you've done all of the above that we just talked about, fervently love one another from the heart. That's it. If I could drop this mic, that would be a mic drop moment, but Kevin would make me pay for it. Fervently love one another from the heart. That's the primary purpose of holiness, to love one another. That's why God left us here. This is why Jesus said the greatest commandment in the Bible was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You love God to love others. Why? So they can learn to love God and love others. Why? So they can learn to love God and love others. You see what I mean? What? What? So they can learn to love God and love others. And pretty soon, you got a whole lot of love. You got a whole lot of Love. Tell you, greatest songs in the world written in the 70s. Going to get a witness. All right. Number, you got to love. The purpose of holiness is to love one another. The second purpose of holiness, watch this, is to bring purpose to our life. Because nothing else you will ever do from now until you are called home is going to even come close to loving God and loving others. Look at verse 24. All flesh is like grass. (laughs) Not that grass. Pay attention. And all of its glory like the flower of grass. 
The grass withers and the flower falls off. All of the stuff in this world is going to die. It's going to fade. It doesn't last. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And the word of the Lord is commanding us to love God and love others. Because nothing else we will ever do in our life is going to satisfy our soul like helping others see their value and purpose. So let me wrap it up with this. The final reason that God is calling us to be holy is because Jesus started something 2,000 years ago. And he left us here to finish what he started. When we got saved, he didn't immediately call us to heaven. He left us here. Why? So we can finish what he started. God did not create anybody, anyone in here or outside these walls, to live our life here on earth or in eternity, eternally separated from him. Our mission is to go, when Jesus walked on this planet, he was the physical body of Christ. When he ascended to the Father, we as his church became the hands and the feet, the body of Christ. So the body has changed, but the mission never did. It's still our mission to seek and to save that which is lost. And the final reason that God wants us to be holy is so we can be obedient to our Lord and faithful to our calling. So let me ask you to do a little experiment here today. And I want you to think about this and be serious about this. I want you today to try to create a holy moment, a moment of holiness. We've had our moments of sin, and we're real good at that. But we need to start to try to create holy moments. And I'm not talking about walking on water or feeding 5,000 people or anything like that, because most holy moments are not huge productions. Most holy moments are, are really small. They're really anonymous. But God can use those small steps to do great things. I mean, he's standing on the hillside, 15, 20,000 people in front of him. There's no way we can feed all these people. Little boy comes up to him and says, Jesus, I know I ain't got enough food, but I got a couple of fish and some bread here. Can you use it? Jesus said, yeah, I can use that. You'd be stunned what I can do with a little. We need to start creating. Just give God what we have right now. A holy moment is this ever so brief time in your, in your life when your flesh is in submission to your spirit. A holy moment is that time where you set aside your self-interest to do something that you believe is going to make the world a better place. It's a moment that glorifies God, not you. A holy moment, you know what a holy moment is? A holy moment is when you pray for somebody else. It's not about me, it's about you. A holy moment is when you, when you say something nice about somebody when you'd rather be mean. And when I say, say, in this generation, that's not just words coming out of our mouth, but words coming out of our fingers. When I'd like to be mean, but I say something nice, that's a holy moment. A holy moment is when you tip your waitress more than you'd like to tip her. A holy moment is when you say something encouraging to somebody else. A holy moment is being patient with somebody who drives you bananas. A holy moment is picking up trash in your neighborhood that you didn't throw down. A holy moment is giving somebody your full attention when they're talking to you. That's a holy moment, man. It's not about me. 
It's about you. It's a moment where I submit my flesh to the will of God. That is a moment of holiness. And let me, let me show you something really cool. Here's the cool thing about all this. The first time you, do, you, you have a holy moment, it may not be that great. It may not be that big. You may not think it's that significant. But I want to read you a verse that we, we love to read you this verse when it comes around offering time. <laughs> Luke 6.38, where Jesus said, give, and it'll be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, running over. God will give it back. Whatever I give away to God, he's going to give me back more in return. But Jesus wasn't just talking about money. You think about the good Samaritan, right? When he was walking down that road and he saw somebody in trouble, and he intervened, and he used his talent to help him, and then he used his money to pay for something. Look, when, when he's talking about giving, he's talking about our time and our, our, our energy and our attention and, and, and our talent and our treasure and our holiness, which means, watch this, the more of myself, the more of my imperfect self I give away, the more God returns to me, Jesus. So when I give away my imperfect self for the first time, in return, I'm getting back everything I gave away plus a little bit of Jesus with it. So that means the next time I give something away, I'm not just giving me away. Now I'm starting to give away a little bit of Jesus with me. And then the next time I give away, I get a little bit more Jesus, a little bit more Jesus. And you know what happens before too long? The more Jesus I give away, the greater the spiritual impact and the more powerful the holy moment. But it starts with a step. It starts with that first moment. It, and that first moment is going to lead to another moment. It's going to lead to another moment. It's going to lead to another moment. And before too long, you, you, your world and your life and your family, and your culture begins to look a whole lot differently. What, what's going to be your holy moment? Have a holy moment today. Right? It doesn't need to be a lot. Just take that step. God, it's not about me. It's about you. How can I use my life to bring you glory today? Amen. Father, we want to lift you up right now. We want to give you the praise and the glory today, Lord. But Lord, when we start talking about holy moments, you know, maybe the first holy moment that we need to have is a moment where we deny ourselves and invite you in. Where it's not about my will, it's about your will. Where I begin to understand, Lord, that my life is not my own. It's not about me. It's about you. How can I use my life to bring you glory? And Lord, if I've, maybe the first thing I need to do right now is invite you into my heart. And so I want to ask you guys, have you had that holy moment? That's the most important holy moment that you can have. That moment where you deny yourself and you say, Jesus, I, I know I'm a sinner. But I want to live for you. I want to invite you into my life to forgive me of my, my sinful, selfish actions. Because I want you in my life so that you can be my Lord. Listen, you may have gone to church your entire life. You know church. You know this word. You grew up in this culture. But 
Can you remember when you ever invited Jesus in? Can you remember that holy moment? I want you to think about that right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody look around. This is, I want this to be a moment between you and the God who made you and loves you and has a plan for you.